exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Disco Fever. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 6, Scavengers. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation, and social commentary. Is Saru still suffering with ADHD, distracted from dissolving the burn? Have you ever stared directly at a massive hairy pussy on a view screen? How will Discovery work out with floating the cells? Will Linus ever find his way to the canteen? All this and more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. <laughs> Brilliant. I like that. Very good. How are we doing, mate? I'm not too bad. Actually, I had a bit of a bad start to the week. I accidentally filled the escort with Diesel. She died. <laughs> Oh, he's on fire. What have you got in that coffee? Cocaine. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, yes, that was an excellent intro. Professional as always, my friend. Thank you. How are you anyway? I'm not too bad. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. I've watched the episode. I'm digesting how I feel about the episode, and no doubt all of this will ooze out over the course of the next hour or so. Shall we do the exciting bit first? Which is? How they can get hold of us and find us and things like that. We should. We should indeed. Yes, if you're listening to this, one assumes you've already found us, but in the off chance you've accidentally stumbled by some dark, wicked magic, if you've particularly found us, then if you go to the podstation.co.uk, you find either the Disco Fever channel, which is, of course, this show, or you can find our sister channel, which is Picard Talk, which is the other show where we talk all things Star Trek Picard. Then you can find all the episodes, or you can click on the links to all the major podcast platforms. It's all the usual ones. You should know them by now. Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. Deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that's not what it's supposed to say, but never mind. You can click in that if you subscribe when the episodes drop, which is usually on the Monday. They should automatically land on your device of choice, uh, which is all good. Give us a follow on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On Twitter, we always run a poll on the episodes to see uh, what your thoughts are. We massively encourage people to give us their thoughts and comments on the show. It's quite important that we get your thoughts because our thoughts rarely make any sense. (laughs) And so it's always good to hear a sane thought, although that doesn't always happen. The last week, we only... (laughs) We only had two votes. That's atrocious, people. Come on. You don't have to click, like, one thing and it works. Yeah, 100% thought the episode was cool dysfunctionality, i.e. it was the good option. The other ones were, it's like a version 3188 EMH, a bit irritating, or it was Conspiracy Theory Street, insofar as it was a tad confusing. You seem to like it. There was a comment. We've got a comment from Captain Mando. He said, the holograms really baffled me this episode. And also, you introduce these new ships, so show them, exclamation mark, full screen in all their glory, exclamation mark. Now, I don't know whether he's shouting or he's obviously trying to emphasise the importance of those sentences. Otherwise, very happy with this season so far. Thank you, Captain Mando. I very much appreciate those thoughts. Very sensible. He very much focused in on all the things we mentioned there about the absence of ships and indeed the irritable, irritating nature of the EMH. You mentioned it last episode. If you're going to talk about new ships, I did, but just for the record, I am not Captain Mando. I did not post that comment myself. Thank you very much. We love you, Captain Mando. This week, you are our star listener, and we shall bask in your irreverable glory until such time as somebody else posts a comment. And possible only listener. Well, that may be why. (laughs) Let's not focus on the negatives. Let's focus on the positives. That was all good. The latest poll for this episode is open. Go to Twitter. You will find it. It is there. Let us know what your thoughts are let us know what your thoughts are about us and indeed our thoughts about the show we are absolutely happy to be shot at shoot away we will delete it if it's too offensive we will ignore it if it's too stupid and if it fits like goldilocks and it's just right then we're happy to mention it even if it's a criticism they don't know who they're dealing with do they i quite like criticism i'm happy for criticism oh i love a good debate (laughs) i beg your pardon moving swiftly on shall we do a synopsis about this show because apparently there was an episode today the synopsis this week. After receiving a message from Buck, Burnham and Giorgio embark on a rogue mission to find him, leaving Saru to pick up the pieces with Admiral Vance. Meanwhile, Stamets forms an unexpected bond with Adira. Discuss. 
So, if this was a next generation slash Deep Space Nine slash Voyager episode, I'd have thought it would have been a very middling to averagely good episode. It was enjoyable, there's enough going on to keep it interesting, there's funny bits. I didn't not like this episode. However, with the quality of TV that we are spoilt with these days, I feel the bar's been raised. Episodes like this aren't given as much leeway as perhaps they might have been in the past consequently when they give me something like this I am a bit more critical because perhaps my palate is more discerning these days and in this particular instance I thought they shoehorned outrageously to get the obvious getting book back into the series story arc the obvious pre-predicted story arc of Burnham screwing Saru over and obviously focusing on what we assume is going to be the main focal story thread for this season which is what's caused the burn or rather how did Starfleet cause the burn (laughs) and so this episode felt like it was shoehorning stuff in to try and make the train fit back on the track again whilst also executing it in a rather naff way because the rescue mission thing was just horrible it was dead corny the acting of Giorgio even when she's acting to act you know when she's calling Burnham servant all that jazz it was just so over it was horrible I'm very lukewarm on this I enjoyed it but it doesn't feel like we're maintaining the momentum of some of the earlier episodes to maybe go through quickly some of the stuff that you're saying I would agree with what you said in terms of what I saw in the episode and to repeat the same thing we've been banging on about in this show and Picard we find this all the time they shoehorn so much in on the later episodes because they've fannied around with telling so many different story threads we barely get through an episode before we resolved any of the original threads and we keep adding new threads in. Now this episode went up in my estimations but for the wrong reasons probably talking about what you're saying about the section on the planet with Giorgio and they're trying to find a book. Did you not get a Total Recall-esque vibe from that? I mean the original one, I don't mean the ridiculous remake, I meant the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Yeah. As soon as that happened he's like, oh yeah, you can run to the fence. It's like, yeah, this is a Total Recall. The reason I thought the episode was slightly better was because of just small little things. Everything you just said, I completely agree agree with it was nice that finally for the love of god somebody's decided to look for the burn i think saru's got far too comfortable and conformed to the new reality that is the starfleet he just seems far too quick and eager to settle he's so passive when there's a hierarchy of command he's so passive and conformist which obviously i appreciate isn't necessarily a bad thing and probably is required but by the same token we don't know anything about the federation we've spent five minutes in their presence whilst they exist and they wear a uniform and they kind of share similar ideals we're 900 years on from the ideals that Saru knew Starfleet shared and we've known them for five minutes we've given them no time to to learn whether or not these are people they want to hang with and Saru's basically rolled on his back and let him tickle his tummy this is the thing that I thought the last episode it's the stranger danger thing it's a thing that we're taught from the young age it's like you don't know someone don't speak to them or at least take sweets off them I made that mistake Um, But we found this new Starfleet. We don't know anything about them. There's no provenance of what their intent is. You know, I said, I think it was nice that they didn't go evil. And you were like, ah, but are they? We don't know whether they're evil because we don't know them. And yet it appears based on the introduction to this episode that now Discovery is assimilated, to use a Borg term, assimilated into this new Federation. And nobody really has gone away and asked or looked into it. And what if this new Federation is a genocidal group of people now that decided to be completely isolated? because of the burn and focus on looking after them and their own well what you found like at the very end when Burnham's getting a rollicking from the Admiral is that the Admiral and the Starfleet Command are more happy to look past misdemeanors like that of Burnham because they have to be flexible because of the circumstances they find themselves in as opposed to Burnham finding herself in a similar situation back in the original timeline she'd have been in the brig in no time whatsoever probably being court-martialed all over again and so that lends itself to the fact that I suspect the 
the Admiral's going to have less and less time for Saru, who is very playable, or they're going to start to abuse him and his playability by getting him to do things that is going to stretch Saru's belief in Starfleet, really. Well, I think it, it harks back to what you've said. The Starfleet from 930 years ago isn't this Starfleet. And we are, as a people, we are victims of our experiences, environments, surroundings, and that's what moulds us. And we become what we have experienced or dealt with in our lives. And, and so he's now been hurtled into a new reality without questioning. And this is the thing about the hierarchical structure of the Federation, or at least where the Starfleet is. You might not always agree with the collective. So if you're a member of Starfleet, if the captain says, this is where we're going, that's where you're going. You might not agree with that particular choice, but that's what comes with being part of that hierarchical structure. Whereas Burnham, clearly we knew, we kind of saw it happening very early on, having lived a year in this new future, kind of cherry picks when she wants to be Starfleet and when she wants to be Burnham. And usually if it isn't aligned with her personal requirements is when she decides to go off on her own, which is what we saw this episode. We covered it last episode. It will be a decision whether she separates from the discovery. And I was only given it a thought after we did last week's episode about something you said when I mentioned about, you know, they must have to go back to their original time frame. And actually, no, they don't. Well, they can't now because they've got a badass ship that would crush all and everything in that timeline, haven't they now? Yeah, they've got a super, super ship. The thing is, is time travel will find a way. If you wanted to be able to make sure that you're covering canon, because Discovery doesn't exist, anything that's pre-Discovery, all you would need to do is keep Discovery for season four in this future, essentially a blank canvas. And then you could then have Burnham leave the ship and have her ship with the book. I don't know. There's lots of ways you could go without them actually needing to go back to where they left, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's delve into the episode because I'm pretty certain there's quite a few things that seem to be transpiring, which we preempted. And that is to say that neither you nor I are particularly good at predicting things accurately. And yet we seem to be doing all right so far, which probably an indication of how obvious some of the things that are coming are at the moment. We start off with Saru giving a, a captain's, well, he wasn't giving, he was giving a, a weird speech. He was basically telling all the captains standing around the table all the things they probably already knew, which is that he's got himself a new set of wheels and they be whack. They've got all the tech, which is great. I'd be sitting there playing, I mean, when Tilly starts playing with her new computer badgie thing, she pretty much reacts in exactly the same way as I would and indeed do every time I get a new piece of tech in my life. They've detached part of the ship for more manoeuvrability, although I might need someone to explain to me why detaching a part of the ship makes it more manoeuvrable. Also, it's not that new. Prometheus had that in Voyager. Yeah, I'm a bit perplexed by that, but it looks cool, so that's good. I'm quite happy with the tech. I mean, we anticipated that they would need to upgrade the tech or else it was a big red flashing neon light that said they're going back to their own timeline at the end of this season. If they do go back, they're going to be well and truly geared up and will right royally ruin the timeline. So I can't accept that that's going to be the case, can you? Although if they think about it, the ship that they've got now was far and away more advanced than most of the other ships in the Federation. And then now, with the detachable headphones... And <laughs> AirPods. With these AirPod things going on, I don't see the point of them really, because they just float away. Then I have to explain to the Federation an even more secretive ship. Yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? The, no. the one thing that does perplex me about this episode and the situation generally is Starfleet still seems incapable of either understanding or replicating the spore drive and given that the technology that they've used to interact with the mushrooms or is it Stamets? I can't decide is it Stamets who's the key to linking the mushroom spores as fuel and the technology that they've used to connect them? Is he the missing ingredient like the big dust mite tardigrade thing? I have a feeling that he replaced the big dust mite and he's by the, the key. arm dildos. We've taken those arm dildos off and we've replaced them with a 14-year-old. <laughs> we'll call it snot. Any 14-year-old that's gone to the bedroom with the Grattan catalogue. <laughs> Grattan, where do you shot? <laughs> show me age now oh dear uh, no that's true though isn't it I can only assume he's the key although I can't for the life of me remember and do let us know people I can't remember why it is that Stamets has the ability to be this conduit when nobody else can instead because if it's just a case of sticking your fingers in the goo now as opposed to the arm dildos presumably anyone can stick their hand in some goo well yeah so why can we not replicate this monk's Starfleet why can't every ship have a spore drive the way 
it sounded when they landed or found was it last episode or the episode before of, I thought they could replicate it because that was what the Admiral was saying Admiral Vance was just going to give them the sphere data and said just replicate that and I thought that's what the, I thought they could and then it was them and they was like whoa hang on a minute why don't you just make use of us rather than train up a new crew for five days or whatever we're ready to work we want to be part of this new gang let us show what we can do and that was the whole point of why they went off to find that seed ship see I've probably lost the plot with regards to Stamets I, was he bitten or something happened with the big massive dust mite I, I don't think he did I'm sure I, we'd have to watch the episode again there's probably people screaming at the fo- well sorry <laughs> Captain Mando, our only listener, is probably yeah. screaming at the his phone with the answer. But I'm sure it, they decided that they would let... It was killing the dust mite, so he stepped yes. in and sacrificed himself to get them out of a quandary. And then, because it worked, seemed to just assume that role. But without there necessarily being any explanation as to why he was any more suitable than anybody else. Right. He wasn't humped by the dust mite and injected with its seed or of compatibility it was just it just seems he was suited to arm dildos and so it came to be but I don't know that for certain I love the new badges I love the fact they transport they communicate they've got this cool computer I'll probably be nicking a few spare ones you know just in case for your friends and you made an appearance in this episode in fact repeatedly in fact if it wasn't you it was pretty much the reincarnation of a future you in a thousand years time in the form of life not being able to get his head around this new and sexy technology and generally just being a divvy. Yeah. Because <laughs> he could not get his head around how to work that, that transporter, could he? Oh, my, that was hilarious. It's like I you with your phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my phone from the 1920s. I thought this episode had Linus play a nice comedic relief. I hope they do something with his character, by the way. I hope they develop it a bit more. Since season two, he's become a bit more of a regular. He's become a bit I like Morn, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. A bit more involved in Morn. Morn didn't say anything, did he? He just sat at the bar drinking. And nodded. Uh, yeah, grunting or whatever. In this episode, I thought it was really funny. Kind of explains, well, what you're saying about the fact that people don't grasp new technology straight away. Because we don't know how old Linus is. But, like, Tilly's quite young, isn't she? Yeah. So maybe she's like one of these young whiz kids brought up in the iPad age. You know how young people are by the fact that they can hold a conversation and text somebody at the same time? Oh, my two-year-old nephews are whizzes on iPads. My grandma looks at it. I mean, she's got one. And actually, she's perfectly competent at using it, by the way. But she has this almost petrified fear of pushing a button in case it causes the whole world to explode. Whereas, like, the two-year-old nephews who've grown up with it as the norm are just pushing buttons because they know nothing really will happen and the worst case scenario if they're going down that line an adult will grab it off and before <laughs> itself explodes so Tilly was very much that version of generation that we come across of technology. This episode was the episode of this for me. You've got the burn and obviously the investigations that Burnham has taken upon herself to look into this we've got the love which was the shoehorned book Burnham love relationship which we kind of suspected early on and we were both pretty miffed when Buck disappeared on us and we both suspected they were going to bring him back at some juncture and I don't know how you feel but I feel a little bit irked that they brought him back in the way that they did it felt like he disappeared and got kidnapped or held hostage just so that they could get this pen drive that Burnham needed to get the answer to the main storyline it's a bit like a MacGuffin scenario isn't it I was going to say that we didn't use a MacGuffin this week last week's one was a definite MacGuffin where they just happened to have a ship that can go one place in a few seconds I actually thought that because she jumped in his ship with Giorgio that actually it was using normal efforts to find him I do agree that clearly they've woken up and gone ah we're on episode 6 and we now need to tell people about the thing that caused this which was the big issue in episode 1 so I'm actually grateful in a way the best way to do that is with two people you'd expect to go rogue Giorgio and Burnham and I quite liked the continuance of development and mirroring of the two of them throughout the course of the episode you have callbacks to the way they were in episode one and season one and then obviously the mirror version of Giorgio because of how they are Burnham's changed mm. each episode is showing that Burnham now is a different person but has always had that rogueness of if it didn't go the way she wanted it to the chances are she's just going to ignore you and do what she wants to do so I like that what I did like which is an unusual thing to say the love thing I quite liked the way they handled that because when I spoke 
spoke about the previous episode about being in isolation, how they deal with the isolation overlaying our current predicament that we're in with COVID-19. What I felt in this episode that actually it dealt with reunion quite well. She's gone to save someone who, yes, they've got to find this black box. Right on time! Right on time! Letter <laughs> Holloway there. Again, um, showing your age. Hopefully you don't get sued by Letter Holloway. Oh, she's dead. So that won't happen. She's got the reunion with Buck. Which I'm saying love. She might just like him a lot. Maybe a fuck buddy. I love him. But who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to jump on that? I think he's genuinely a cool character and I really like him. I think they as characters are really good together as well. They work very naturally. There isn't any artificial feel to it. And I don't just mean in terms of the storyline. I mean in terms of the acting as well. They do very much bounce off one another. Whee! Bounce off him. Hey, I'd ride him like a Shetland pony on Blackpool Beach on Bank Holiday Monday. <laughs> and happy hour. I think that's why this particular section for me didn't feel forced. I was able to glean from that little exchange that actually they're just grateful to see each other and it mirrored what people are struggling with at the moment by not having the closeness with people and the love how much people miss having the tactile hugs and I just thought this episode I got to that result on my own without having the narrative forced. It's strange that you would do that because this was filmed well before all these problems arose so it wouldn't have been their intentions to focus on these things but I guess it's telling about the circumstances we find ourselves in that we would look for those kind of traits and those storylines which isn't a bad thing what is quite obvious is that Burnham was always going to go off piste there was always going to be that battle with Saru over their different styles I mean we called it two or three episodes ago it comes as no surprise and the fact she took a badge off at the end of this episode I would stake trying to think something that I don't mind losing I would stake a cup of coffee yeah because I'm, I'm tight I don't want to risk too much but I would stake something of little value on the likelihood that Burnham will now join Buck on his ship again and go off to investigate the burn having in inverted commas resigned her commission knowing full well that during the course of this season she'll be proven to be onto a good thing that this thing will be really really important that it will be something that will either require Starfleet or Discovery's assistance then they will come together she will be talked back into joining Starfleet because we're right the wrong and thus we'll pick up at the beginning of the next season with her being probably another promotion because she seems to get a promotion every time she jibs off Starfleet for basically breaking the rules. That's kind of how I feel it and to be honest it wouldn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's quite obvious that her and Buck are going to go off in one direction, Discovery are probably going to go off in another direction. I would agree with that, I think that's the way it's looking and I think maybe season four will in fact be in the same future it will be a stepping off point for Giorgio to embark on Pastures Green with her spin-off show and then what it then provides is two different stories story A and story B where you've got a discovery that's assimilated into the new federation and Buck and Burnham it keeps Buck as a, a reoccurring character it develops Burnham's rogue traits I think that adds a nice dynamic to the show yeah I think Saru will probably be glad in fact the discovery security team will probably be glad to see the back of Burnham if that's the case because she's so cunning and so highly skilled as a spaceship thief that she seems to be able to very efficiently on multiple occasions steal a ship drive it out of the docking bay and no bugger know about it until it's too late because that's the second time in nearly as many episodes where she's just gone oh sod this for a like jumped into a ship disappeared off and then someone's gone have you seen Burnham? no I haven't seen Burnham do you know where Burnham is? no no computer where's Burnham? oh she left ages ago in one of your ships all right, okay. I would love your voice to be the computer. <laughs> Dave can't do security and he can't do the transporters and he can't do the food in the mess hall. You've got to get someone else's security people. I know Ash Tyler wasn't the best security person, largely because he was a Klingon in disguise who killed people, but at least he was somebody, as opposed to the nobody that clearly appears to be in place at the minute. Clearly the job description for that, people are like, no, I think I'll just swerve that. Because Norm, she, I didn't even know she was security that's how good she was no one you knew I didn't even know who she was until she left it's like what right it's so head of security let's look at the evidence Tasha Yar dead 
<laughs> then it was Wharf. Was it Wharf then took over? Yeah, Wharf was in charge then. He's he done all deep, right. He went to, yeah, but he went to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He's not sure who the security was then. Kira was Deep Space Nine, wasn't she? Kira was good. We never filled the security void on the next gen because, of course, no one could replace Wharf. So whenever there was a film, we shoehorned Wharf back into the storyline yeah. again. Just happens to be in the area. Oh, my God, we've got a major disaster heading. Oh, look, there's Wharf. Mr. Wharf, would you like to get on board the ship? Yes, I will. Excellent. You may take the empty seat of security because Dave's gone to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So it's probably a job that people don't really want because Narn's just jumped off to a ship where well, he just died. you say that, dude. First, was it the second episode that the big dust mite ate the security officer on the Discovery? Of course. Ash Tyler was the security officer. He's now buggered off. Narn's been the security officer. She's buggered off. What's it called? A revolving door of a position, much the same as the captain's seat. Well, it's like a poison chalice. Anyone who takes the role goes, now. Nah, the last one died or left or transferred or you, was eaten. You think you'd check whether it was poison before you took the the job giving you security. What about grudge? <laughs> How do we feel about grudge? As a general rule, I'm a dog person as opposed to a cat person. I do quite like grudge. I think grudge is a character who's said nothing, done nothing, but has built up quite a cool little persona by the way in which people react to her. I'm indifferent to grudge. I mean, I wasn't really overly excited about the cat in Captain Marvel. I'm not really a pet person. Not because I hate them, just that if I had one, it'd probably die because of, I wouldn't <laughs> it. Not because I'm nasty, I just forget to feed it. Can't look after myself so how can I look after a pet let's be honest if you've got a cat what are you thinking the most arrogant pet you can have you feed it you look after it it fucks off next door eats a rat and then you come down in the day and you think you've got your slippers on and you're wearing a hedgehog that your cat just brought in <laughs> why get a cat and also your house stinks of shit Oh, anyway. But Grudge seems capable of flying starships, so there is a positive there. Well, was it just accidentally just running across the control panel? I think he said shitting on stuff. I think he had a default course plotted in to go off after a certain time. Yeah, and and the ship just drove back to raise help. I don't think Grudge did actually drive it. If Grudge did, I'd be making Grudge head of security on Discovery. (laughs) Well, that's a good contender for that, actually. Let's be honest, it's probably an autopilot, and the cat litter tray must be stinking. Oh, you wouldn't want to be you wouldn't want to be on that ship it's pissed everywhere it's rubbed itself all over the doors you'd be lying down on your nano bed and there's all bloody hairs in it and you'd, you wake up and you're coughing up hairballs and then you wake up and it's sitting on your throat because it's thinking about how it can kill you fucking cats <laughs> Oh, well, moving swiftly along. Although, I was going to say before we get any complaints about people who love cats, but on the basis that no one gets in touch with us, if you like cats and have an issue, get in touch. We're happy with that. Please turn up that Captain Mando is the cat lover. <laughs> Good, great. Then we have Giorgio and Burnham obviously going off on the rescue mission. I mean, I've said this before, I'm not a big fan of the actress Michelle Yo, who plays Giorgio. I don't find her a particularly good actress actress or the way she acts doesn't particularly sit well with me I, I find it quite hammy and unnecessary when she became evil Giorgio that acting kind of found its groove a little bit because she can afford to be a bit more over the top by virtue of the Murray Universe characteristics so I'm not too mad about that and, and so that character's grown on me I don't think this episode did much for me in terms of how she acted it because I think she went back over the top again with the way she was doing it and there's clearly an issue now it seems to have started well I don't know it seems to have started following the interrogation she had from section 31 I have an inkling that it might be because she's from another universe and she's time travelled it might be that her only way to survive is to go back to the original timeline if not her universe in itself to avoid her I don't know self imploding or something because that makes sense both in terms of what she's going through in the flashback she's having and how you then get her back into the Section 31 series. That's a good idea. Either she's repressed some of her feelings. I don't know how it would work out, but the other Giorgio's forcing its way through. Your suggestion makes more sense that because she's occupying a different space and time and a different parallel universe that it's having repercussions, but it's all of a sudden something's triggered this. Well, that's um, it. I don't know whether it was triggered when they arrived in this timeline and it's just taken a couple of episodes for them to get around 
down to showing it or whether it's linked to the interrogation that she had with the Section 31 guy. Well, that's an interesting idea and, and something hopefully they explore. It's clear that she's given up and whether it's because she knows she's got her own little show now, she's just treading water because she's only got a few episodes to go. I liked the character development with her and Ben and particularly I thought was quite strong. When we saw season one, she was kind of one episode and done and then brought in in flashback and then we brought her back in because it was Mirror Universe. So we keep finding ways to bring people back. But it's nice that they are bookending this. Whee, book! The stuff they've done in season one with her and Burnham, their roles have reversed in some way. Although Giorgio is inherently evil because it's the Mirror version, she comments that Burnham's a different Burnham now. The Burnham, the Giorgio from the normal timeline was the one that's saying, this is how it is. It's Federation. That's how we do it. And Burnham was the one who essentially caused the Klingon war. This Burnham pushing the rogue approach and obviously Giorgio's clocked that and said, you're a different Burnham to the one I knew. Yeah, it's an interesting relationship. As I say, I like evil Giorgio and I've very much enjoyed her character up to this point. There's just occasional times when I find the... I know she was play-acting for the benefit of the Orion geezer to pretend that Burnham was the servant, but I didn't feel she needed to say lines in the way that she... You know, they go get it, servant. You're terrible, you. Oh, it's such a waste of time. And that kind of crap. And it's like, ah, oh, dude, that's unnecessary. Just say, look, go fetch it. And you can say it in a way that doesn't come across as being an utter ass, but still well, implies you, you are. But still impl- say... <laughs> You go first. No, you go first. <laughs> no, you, I insist. No, no, I insist. No, I, I open the door for you. You go first. No, no, you should go first. No, I promise you, you should go first. <laughs> All right, I'll then. go first. <laughs> <laughs> right, go on. I forgot what I was going to say. No, I know what I was going to say. We've commented on a couple of shows earlier on in this season that she's kind of the panto villain. Yeah. And I think, sadly, she's playing to that strength, which is not necessarily a good thing because I I agree you can be villainous and not come across as panto and she's done that very well for the majority of the time i think that's why i've warmed to the character because she has found that balance between being a camp baddie but without going into this spoof panto line and i'm enjoying that generally i just thought this wasn't the strongest episode for her but i do want to see more Giorgio because i do like the whole arc you can definitely see that her and burnham are going to become more of a tighter unit than saru although my guess is that Burnham's going to have to sacrifice her by letting her go back to the original timeline that they've just come from and therefore work her way back towards Saru and the Starfleet way in order for season four to make any sense whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> which is probably the problem of announcing new seasons before you've got through the season because it kind of removes that whole, oh, well, she might die because when you know the season four, they ain't killing off the lead actress, are they? No, agreed. And that's the danger. I think everyone's now trying to replicate the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you either do it very well or you do it very badly. Case in point, the DC EU and also in fact the Dark Universe, that Universal we're trying to do. You either do them extremely well because you've planned and you've got top rate writers who I don't envy at all. These guys have got to think about four to five steps ahead and one of the things I'm aware of that Marvel do is when they're doing another film, the directors will talk to the previous director and find out what their vision was and how they can honour the previous film whereas I don't think you can always pull it off if you're trying to do it particularly with the Star Trek franchise because as you say you're giving spoilers away before you've even finished the season see that's the thing you lose the emotional attachment this is something we mentioned I think in episode 2 or 3 where if you haven't got that emotional attachment why would you be interested in what happens to them yeah again throughout this episode I had no fears for Book or Burnham or Giorgio because you know they're not going to get killed and then that therefore means that you're almost watching the rest of it wondering who you don't know who gets killed is going to get killed first so when we saw the Andorian fella he's getting nailed there's no chance he's finishing this episode still alive or if he is alive it's by the skin of his teeth and quite frankly I'd be right royally miffed if I was him he might have been born into the syndicate turquoise stream thing but he was mutilated because he was rising up against that arrangement he was rising up to the benefit of the people on these sorts of camps slash prisons slash workhouses whatever you want to call them and yet they were all treating him like a piece of shit and I didn't quite understand that because he was punished for doing something
something that was going to benefit them and the fact that he's now with them should make him one of those I felt quite sorry for him and I'm sure we were supposed to what I did think was he was a lot more restrained towards the rest of them when they were being asses to him than I would have been because to be perfectly frank if I'd have had to stamp those things on the back of the neck and they were going to be an ass to me I'd have made sure it really 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 hurt well what I took from that is it shows it holds a mirror to humanity and how we are as a people we're not very tolerant of people and we tend to judge people based on what we see and or based on what we think that or where they come from yeah there's there's an assumption isn't there I mean a good example is that reverse snobbery the football team I support Leeds United have a guy who plays up front Patrick Bamford now he was born into the JCB family dynasty so he's born into a family that is super billionaires comes from a very privileged background but that doesn't mean that he hasn't worked his nuts off to become a professional footballer that every time he plays a game of football and I watch him most weeks and I can testify he works his nuts off in every single game and has made a success of himself off his own back but people still lots of opponent fans will still be quite derogatory towards him because he has come from money and come from privilege even though actually what he now does for a living has very little benefit gained from the background he had if you become a lawyer or a prime minister or in the financial sector and he's got a job through his dad's mates and that kind of thing to become a professional footballer you're kind of either good at football or you're not and you work hard to become a good footballer or you don't you know what I mean and that was a bit like this wasn't it they're assuming that because of where he's come from and the race of people that he is from that he is one of those when actually if they took the blinkers off for a second and looked at those stumps on his forehead they'd realise the fella had been mutilated in quite an unceremonious way because he was standing up for them this is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this episode is because it shone a light on this psychological approach to conformity and we've seen it very often in history where you judge a people based on their behaviour in history you know you think about how the Japanese were treated how the Germans were treated because of how history has portrayed them and then again you've got a guy who I refer to as Discount Beast from X-Men because he looked a bit like Hank (laughs) and they're treating him the same as Emerald Chain simply because he's an Orion based on what you're saying and then this again supplements what I was saying about Saru if anyone's familiar with Dutch and Gerard dual process model uh, friggin Nora we're getting deep here you're talking about models and (laughs) there's a danger we might get serious on this show the reason why people conform well there's two main ones which is the normative social influence which is because of public conformity and then there's the informational social influence which is private conformity compliance being the public one and identification or internalization being the private one because humans are a social species with a need for companionship and a fear of rejection they comply and it goes back to a comment I made a couple of episodes about the tribes you have to go back to when Homo erectus was traveling across the plains of Africa if you weren't belonging into a tribe you were dead and if you were kicked out of the tribe because you're weak you also died to belong to part of a tribe is what everybody inherently wants to be sadly it has pros and cons the pro being that you are welcomed in and you get instant gratification because you're accepted or you become the result of your people so we see in this episode a kind of a duality really Saru who is wanting to belong he's been travelling for a day <laughs> you know Burnham's been roughing it for a year he turns up two days later go I need somebody I want a hug and then we've got this other guy discount beast who doesn't actually represent his people properly you know if you think about use the death star as an example when the death star exploded not every person on that death star was inherently evil they were just following orders as a famous phrase so essentially alliance are mass murderers but we don't talk about that you belong to a group you're not representative of those belief systems you might just happen to be part of a group so you're for example you're a Leeds United supporter for my sins sorry for my sins you're not representative of any negative things that come from people who are hooligans you're not them I was able to glean from this episode that narrative yeah me too and I really liked I mean it just made me fall a bit more in love with Book I liked the fact that Book's natural instinct was to build a rapport with him to keep him motivated to make him feel loved and when they were ultimately trying to escape to make sure that he got out that definitely endeared me more to Book as a character and not to claim too much credit or anything but my future Dr. Pollard saved his life, so he will be in the next episode. You're welcome. <laughs> 
I would love it to be you. I'd love to see the, this strong Yorkshire man go. Oh, no. Hey, oh, no, no, no. There's a reason why this takes place like a thousand years in the future. It's taken a thousand years for the Pollard gene to evolve to the extent that we actually care enough about <laughs> We have enough of a bedside manner where we could tolerate people complaining about pain and misery because people fully justified in complaining about pain and misery. I seem to have an inability to process that in a positive way. But clearly my future family relation has managed to do that and good for her because that's amazing and well done you. And if you wouldn't mind sending me some instructions on how to do it, it might make me a better human being. That's so funny. She's amazing. Just to have I like this. I mean, I once had a broken arm for 48 hours before I was able to persuade my mum to take me to the hospital because <laughs> she thought I was just being soft and just needed to shake it off. <laughs> And that doesn't make my mum a bad mum, by the way, because she's the most amazing mum in the whole world ever. But that's just how we as Pollards are wired up. It's like, get on with it. It'll be right. I would expand that further to say how Northerners are. <laughs> sort yourself out, lad. Stop crying. What do we think about Starfleet Command in general and the Admiral? Because for me, he seems like a right miserable sod. Yeah, I'm not certain where I stand. He feels like the Pollard gene, but in this timeline... <laughs> Just a miserable bastard. Just a misery. I think the jury's still out on that, to be fair. I, I was saying that I didn't mind them not being evil, but to be fair, I said that based on what I was seeing on that small period of time. I'm moving towards the fact that I think there's probably some underhand stuff going on. They're aware of something that they're not telling people about. I think they've adapted to that future. Couple of questions then. Firstly, where do we stand on the uniforms thing? Because Discovery has now received the technology from the future but doesn't seem to want to go so far as to wear the uniform of the organisation of which they are the intrinsic part of at the minute. That sits a little bit weird to me. They've changed the badges, but they seem to be refusing to change their overalls. Well, technically, there is precedent for that because the original series, each of the ships didn't actually have the same uniform. All right, okay. Considering that this is, what, 10 years before care? And actually, you say that, that's true because Pike's gang had a different outfit on, didn't they? That's actually canon. The original series series episodes were different ships I think the USS Constellation the uniform's different to what they were I think at one episode of the next generation I think they threw every iteration of the uniform in you had the, the guys wearing those smocks then they had women wearing the smocks so they had all of the variations to make it look like there was lots of personnel and I think the costume department just went I can't be asked making any more <laughs> In one of our Picard show conversations, I mentioned they changed the uniform because they were getting to sag. They were made out of a material that wasn't allowing easy moving and they were just a bit uncomfortable. They changed them for that reason. I think actually one of the, I haven't seen it, but below decks, I understand uses the uniform that was going to be used in the next generation, but never quite made it. All right. I haven't watched that. I do fancy uh, watching that. What do we think of the new uniform? Because we'd only seen the Admiral one. And it was a bit difficult to see whether that was in fact a uniform uniform or what the other non-admiral uniforms look like but we got a good look at the captain's version in this i have to say i do like it actually yeah what about you do you, do you like yeah it? i don't mind it i think the discovery version's better and the woman who is on board the discovery kind of helping them to learn how to use the technology she was wearing a different uniform again wasn't she yeah hers isn't as flattering it's not as obvious is it hers is a bit tight she looks like a pair's walking around the bridge <laughs> and the second thing is where do we think the storylines going from here then with the burn because there's obviously something that I don't know there's obviously something untoward that's going to be intimated about the burn something caused the burn either deliberately or was experimenting with something it shouldn't have been experimenting with and thus caused the burn I suspect if I was putting my prediction hat on again and given I've, I've done alright so far I don't want to boast too much but I have I would say that if we're going to tie into the environmental theme i'm going to suggest that it was a radicalist person like someone who had an issue with the pollutants that the dilithium crystals were causing and because of the mass use and mining of them and so they almost like a terrorist created that burn effect to you know like who these people keep on sitting on top of the trains they want to roll us back to the dark ages because we can't kill the planet anymore by using horses and carts although i'm sure the horse is probably 
would have something well, to say about I think that. They want, they want zero carbon emissions. We are carbon life forms. It's physically impossible to have zero carbon. I, mean, I think you're right in terms of this being a political statement about the use of fossil fuels. Extinction Rebellion, although they would argue the people who are standing on trains, gluing their hands to cars and chaining themselves to tarmac are not members of that group. But it's along the same vein. It's about making a, a statement. Hashtags never change the world. So hashtag. Hashtag get a job. <laughs> I'm thinking it's something like that because otherwise it doesn't really make sense as to why someone would have caused this burn to happen. And as I say, it was either an accident because someone was titting around with something they didn't understand properly or because somebody deliberately meant it. And if someone deliberately meant it, it has to be. It's too specific a fact because it went specifically for the dilithium and the warp drives that uses those things. It's got to have been deliberate that that was going to be the consequence of whatever it is that they did. I, th- I like that idea. I don't specifically think we need to be told in Star Trek about be greener, but if that's what it is, then that's a reasonable theory. My eyes will probably glaze over and I'll think, fucking hell, here we go pandering again, but I'll take that. As long as it's done in an entertaining way, I'm not really bothered what the storylines are, to be brutally honest. Well, I'd like a storyline to be a bit original than something I've just seen recently. I'd like there to be thought-out story that doesn't have anything to do with my daily life. Yeah, no, I'll get Did, that. I think your theory, I think you said it for episode one, if memory serves, that you thought it was a fossil fuel based I have to say I'm either I'm getting more intelligent or the show's becoming more obvious and based on my track record my fear is the show's becoming a bit more predictable you do realise that we haven't actually had any responses to the fact that your theories have come true you're still making a theory you can take ownership of the fact you continue to make the same theory I will just (laughs) if it's wrong I'll just deny it (laughs) and and if someone's got a problem with that write in and tell us (laughs) Yeah, Captain Mando. Get those <laughs> fingers typing. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Should we go through the Easter eggs in this episode? Because even I spotted a couple in this. Warning! Warning! Oh, I'll tell you what then, let me pass the honour to you. Oh, friend. no, 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 let, let, oh. let's not get... Let's see how too excited. I didn't write them down. I said I spotted them. I didn't I didn't write them down to be able to refer to them. But, so, the Bajorini thing, that was mentioned, that was an Easter egg. <laughs> Is that your technical? Uh, the Bajorini thing. I've got that down. Of course you have. Properly. The Bajoran exchange, in the pre-recorded holographic message, he mentions the Bajoran exchange, which I can only assume means that is in Bajoran space. But we were mentioning the Bajorans a couple of episodes yeah. ago, and we did see one, the guy with the ridges on his yeah. nose, he's Bajoran. They've only ever been mentioned in Deep Space Nine, and then obviously later in the series of Generation. Ensign Rowe. Ensign Rowe, she yeah. Came well, I think that was around, if you think about the timeline. That was Deep episode Space five, it was about the same time as Deep Space Nine and Voyager was kicking in. In fact, it was just before Voyager, because she was the first introduction to the Marquee. They come up with a new species, and then they introduce it to all of them because the way they ran sequentially over each other there was an overlap of each show wasn't there but it was nice to see the other thing that we talked about last week which was actually shown in the early part of this episode was that Discovery now gets the new registration NCC 1031A well now that is quite an interesting thing because as we were talking last week when you were saying well they don't normally get that the reason they don't normally get that is because generally speaking it only gets a letter if it's replacing a different ship that has presumably being destroyed. Case in point that the NCC 1701A gets the change in the voyage home. The good example is that the D gets crashed into a planet and they replace it with the E because there was no fixing the D. Particularly in the movies. Do you know the reason for that? I'm glad you mentioned that. Do you know why they did that? What, why they crashed it? Yeah, do you know the practical reason why they crashed the Enterprise D? No. This is an exciting little snippet, which wasn't an Easter egg, but you've brought it up. The reason why they had to crash the Enterprise D is every version of the Enterprise D footage was in television format. So the sizing of it was not big enough to work on a big screen. If you look, they did add some new workstations at the very side, which were new, weren't they? Yeah. And that's probably that why. Isn't it? That's yeah. exactly the reason. They were filming it for 10, 1080, or not 1080, 1080, whatever the size of a screen is at the time, which is why you, when you're watching the episodes now, unless they've been digitally formatted, you generally get the two black marks down the side, not you and me. That's why they crashed the D. Then they could do the E for all the movies. <laughs> There you are. Anyway, we sidetracked, my friend. Extra a little bit. We need to be careful here because we're in danger of sounding too intelligent, touching on too important topics and actually doing this show properly. 
Flipping out, we might get two listeners. Exciting. <laughs> what was your other Easter egg before I carry on, or was that it? There probably was. I'll say yes when it's an Easter egg that I can remember. <laughs> there were ones, but you know me, I don't make notes. In relation to the upgrade, Star Trek Discovery gets a new deflector dish, similar to the, the motion picture classic version of the Enterprise. I mentioned last week the star map, there was a lot of references to various planets. Again, this week there was a map and there was more planets mentioned. So last week, Thalos was mentioned. Now, a lot of people probably thought I meant Talos. I didn't. This week, Talos was mentioned. Talos 4, particularly, being the planet where Christopher Pike goes in the cage and Menagerie. In Season 2 Discovery, if memory serves, they go back to that planet. Beta Niobe is the planet from All Our Yesterdays, the original series. That particular episode involved a little bit of time travel, so it ties into this as well. It's also mentioned in the animated series, the counterclock incident. Camus was referred in this episode, which is Camus 2 is a planet that was in the original series episode The Turnabout Intruder the other episode was in the next generation called Legacy you mentioned the multifunctional badges which we all enjoyed the first time probably that now has all of the technology in one badge we get to see briefly the 24th century phaser this particular version we saw in First Contact and because it was used in First Contact it was obviously new tech for the film they wheeled it out in Voyager that was on at the time and then in later seasons of Deep Space Nine badges we see in the scrapyard a pile of badges from the 2250s era one of them being the Klingon badge Tritanium is mentioned which refers to the fictional ore that was referenced in the original series Obsession is particularly important because most Starfleet bulkheads are made out of Tritanium the Baryon Sweep which was mentioned that was the other one that was, was the it? second one yeah I spotted okay. that as well because to cut across you there that's one of my favourite next gen episodes when Picard stuck on the ship and they're going to the planning on stealing the ship whilst they're doing the barrier sweep. I really enjoyed that episode. Well, so well done. Yeah, that was good. There was a couple of others. I'm just going to explain it when I give you my rating of this episode. So I won't include it in this. I'll tell you what we did forget to touch on in this episode. Adira. Adira's storyline was sort of moved on slightly insofar as Stamets now knows that she's got an invisible friend that she talks to in the form of Grey Tal. So if she was conscious about the fact that she's got this invisible friend she can talk to and if she didn't want people to think she's crazy why would you be sitting in the mess hall looking at an empty chair and talking to it while surrounded by people because when Stamets came over and was was like who are you talking to she's like oh uh, no one it's like you're sitting in the middle of a room full of people love and you're talking to a blank space did you not think that someone might notice that and go she's talking to herself uh?" you touched upon again is that you said I hope they don't do the imaginary friend thing again because that's what we were talking about the fact that the, you know, the LGBTQ community would be going absolutely mental because they've brought in this new character and then killed killed him off early on. And then they have, they've done kind of a riff on it, which is it's because now her memories are unlocked. She can tap into that. Yeah, and it's not a secret invisible friend. It still lurks the hell out of me so far as it still feels like an already done storyline. I'm not quite sure what purpose it serves for the storyline generally, but it doesn't offend me particularly. However, I am glad that it's now not this silly secret because if it were a secret, it would be exactly what we've had before whereas at least now she's comfortable of, of having a conversation with Stamps it's obviously going somewhere I mean there must be a reason why Grey Tal is so visible and interactive with Adira there must be a reason for it and presumably we're going to find out what that reason is at some point I suspect it's something to do with Admiral Tal who has important information about the burn that he was hoping to pass on to Grey Tal Grey Tal obviously didn't get chance because of the way in which he was sort of killed and so his presence his memories are very much at the fore because at some point grey will realize or will need adira to know this information in order to bring discovery back to burnham so that they can fix the burn issue okay well there's definitely something in, in their mind isn't there to how this is going to happen but it's nice that they've managed to find a way to bring back ray into the storyline because otherwise it just seems a pointless exercise to bring in a trans character who then you just kill off again this episode was a nice one where I saw Stamets again it was nice Stamets wasn't it it went up in my estimations because we didn't just get a two dimensional Stamets there was actually a really nice exchange between Deer and Stamets and we actually had a nice exchange between Stamets and Culber and I really like those pyjamas <laughs> 
But then again, um, I mean, Colbert works out as well, so he's going to look good in anything, really, isn't he? He's a bit like Book. They must go to the same gym. Please invite me, boys, because I've got some stuff I need to sort out after this lockdown flab. Just get a tapeworm. <laughs> I might have to. It must be cheaper than joining their gym. It just showed a different side. And if you look at both Adira and Stamets, I've actually experienced loss. I don't think I quite agree with Stamets telling her how linear death is. I think you'd find someone to be hard pushed to agree with you who's just lost a member of their family or a loved one and I think it's easy to be flippant when you've had that person who's died come back but he's been in the spore network so he doesn't see time as linear anymore because of the way the system works so in fairness that does make sense to the experiences he's had being the dust mite of discovery it's probably a bit glib if you're telling people going it's alright don't worry about it death is just a matter of the mind or whatever <laughs> but the reason why those two work is because they've both experienced the loss of somebody but they had them return so in her case obviously she's been reunited again this reuniting with loved ones she's been reunited with Grey and Stamets was reunited with Culver so I just thought again that they were two nice moments where the characters didn't grind on me and they've done something with them that elevated my decision of giving it a score cool so on that note then what score would you give it and why based on the fact that we got off the ship and we're nearer to sourcing the burn there were some humorous aspects with Linus and Giorgio really good character development and it seemed a bit more fast paced here we got Giorgio flying around with what looked like the Thunderbird 4 uh, ship <laughs> I would give this a 8 oh wow I was just writing down 7 so that I could smugly hold up the piece of paper and go I knew that was what you are going to give because you give everything a 7 but oh interesting well I'll give Darren Brown a ring and tell him his job's not at risk <laughs> so it, it was an 8 for you just on those things and I know it doesn't seem a lot to escalate a score from 7 to 8 but it just seemed that particularly with Burnham making the decision to do something about the burn we moved forward and I hope this pace now continues that we don't get caught up in every other well as I said at the beginning of the show Saru's just following any distraction he can possibly have not to do the one thing he's been given the task to do because he's conforming and Burnham just seems to have grabbed the balls and gone like do you know what let's do it what are you going to do sack me <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed this episode, but as I said at the outset, and I've said in previous episodes, at the moment I feel this series is wearing its slippers. It's The slippers are nice slippers, they do a really good job, you can go outside or you can mooch around the house, but they are fundamentally comfy, they're easy to turn to, there's no effort required to have to wear your slippers. I want them to slip into sexy stilettos, you know, I want them to push the boat out a little bit, I'm just wanting them to have to go through a little bit of pain to give me the effect that you get from those fantastic looking stiletto shoes that's kind of what I feel this episode was it's a good solid very enjoyable Star Trek episode and I know watching a Star Trek series so it sounds ridiculous for me to suggest that being a Star Trek episode is a bad thing but I keep saying this I kind of want it to evolve from the episodes and the shows that we're used to because the episode and shows that we're used to are from 20 years ago and while some of the topics they touch upon and the special effects that they use have obviously evolved I don't feel they've necessarily moved it forward to begin with the first couple of episodes felt very Games of Thrones I know we keep mentioning that but the beauty about Game of Thrones was you had no idea where it was going you had no idea who was going to die next you weren't entirely certain who was a good person and who was a bad person and I got the same vibe from Discovery from the outset and it sort of touched points on that vein every now and again but largely has allowed itself to be steered back into that Star Trek comfort zone and I do wish it take itself out of the comfort zone again because I think it can do good run of the mill Star Trek stuff very well but I want it to raise the bar, I want non-Star Trek people to be screaming about how amazing this show is in the same way as they might do for Ozark or Game of Thrones or God... <laughs> name any one of it Breaking Bad you know those shows did something different they pushed the envelope and I kind of want Discovery to do the same the examples you have just given I would attach shows like The Mandalorian to that it's a show where you tune in every week I mean last week's episode of The Mandalorian was a half an hour show and it never felt like half an hour and actually at no point in time did I feel I was labouring or fatigued by a plot line or a storyline and it's only got nine episodes in the season and the thing is is all of the shows you've mentioned the reason why you binge watch it is a hundred percent 
100% escapism. Ozark is one of those shows you just find yourself living the role and wish you were kind of some sort of rogue, drug dealing, money laundering, whatever. Hashtag spoilers. Game of Thrones as well. There was no other underlying stories where you felt like you were being preached to. And that's what I hope, or should I say, I hoped for this season is we're in a brand new time period. We're not connected to canon at all. We're in a new time. We can do what we want to do. We don't need to be political. We don't need to do anything. Just tell good stories that people can spend 40 minutes living a dream of what things could be like. Unfortunately, this isn't particularly a utopian future. So I understand to a certain degree that there are going to be conflicts and yes, famine and certain things do exist now and it's not quite the Gene Rodenberry approach. As I keep banging on about, when I watch telly, I want to watch telly because I'm escaping from the monotony of life. I don't want to then find myself thinking that I'm being told to vote Donald Trump. Well, did you or was your vote not counted properly? I think I voted through this um, postal voting <laughs> and it went via Texas. It's with George Bush's. <laughs> <laughs> the shows you've just chosen there which is quite interesting none of those shows in any way pandering aiming for tokenism have any political undertones they just tell a story that's written well and particularly with Ozark you can actually probably find yourself playing that character so for an hour or 58 minutes or whatever Ozark is you're completely well you're looking at the cavities in your house going yeah I could probably squeeze a couple of mil in there yeah exactly that kind of thing and you've just drawn in which is why you binge it because by the time you get to the next episode you're like i can't wait now i need to find out what the next thing is and game of thrones is the same house of cards there's so many shows that tell wonderful stories without you feeling like you're being preached to and this is where this sadly for the season they've had a blank canvas and they've not done that they seem to have gone let's just tick every single box possible so we can get all these awards for diversity or, or whatever which is great that's not why i watch star trek they've got so many good writers on the show picard was revolutionary picking up a character from 20 odd years ago it was in part but i mean picard had, had a wobble in the middle and then sorted itself out again. They also then try to start telling people what we already know, which is not everybody is equal and people aren't nice. And you and I both know that people aren't nice, which is why we don't particularly like people. But I'd like to watch a show that actually does show people in a good way. Oh, the bad people just get blown up. (laughs) Well, an interesting show, which actually got cancelled recently, Brave New World, does exactly that. Hopefully you disagree with us and therefore are feeling enraged and want to send your comments if you would like to then you can send an email to us at discofever at the podstation.co.uk although that's probably too much like hard work be more of a keyboard warrior get yourself onto our social medias so twitter instagram facebook drop your comments in on there vote on the poll let's have more than two votes this week please give us some more comments let's add to the plethora of comments that we had from captain mando this week captain mando by the way feel free to have another comment because your input has been very much appreciated give us a review that'd be cool although of course if you're going to barrage us with abuse then perhaps asking you to give us a review probably isn't the best idea but do you know what if you give us a bad review such is life come say come sa as they say so yeah i think that brings us to an end doesn't it mate i think it does thank you all for listening and tuning in yeah thanks for listening guys we'll catch you next week away team out <laughs>